Greetings again, everybody. My name is still Chris Kimston, and uh, uh, you might not know this if you are new to this community or new around here, but we are part of, an, of a much larger um, church body. We like to say it's one church, multiple locations, and uh, so um, West Des we have campuses all over West Des Moines and Ankeny and Johnston and Waukee and here in Des Moines, and uh, we've been going through this series called The Heart of Hope, where we investigate what it looks like uh, to, to be hope, to be Lutheran Church of Hope. What does it really mean um, to like be Lutheran Church of Hope, what's at the core of what we believe and who we think we are. And so um, we've been going through that the last few weeks, and uh, we heard at the beginning a little bit of history uh, from Pastor Mike, who uh, has been here uh, from the beginning um, in West Des Moines. And so uh, sometimes, usually you hear um, John or myself give the sermon. We actually live stream less than any other campus, fun fact, um, because usually you have John or I yapping at, at you. But uh, sometimes it's really important to hear from our senior pastor, all of our senior pastor, which is Mike. And um, so Mike knows that he is preaching to all of you. He has been praying for you. Every campus is live streaming this weekend as we wrap up this series about what it means to be hope, we figured it was important to hear from Mike. So uh, if he makes a joke, feel free to laugh if it's funny. Um, he, again, he knows he's preaching to you, so if he asks for participation, uh, feel free to participate as if he were here, because again, he is indeed thinking of you all. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you uh, for a church that is one church, but multiple locations. We thank you for the ways that that allows us to love members of different communities all across our great city of Des Moines. We thank you for all of the ways that uh, you've blessed us and help us to hold those things well and help us to love others the way that you love us. And it is in your good name, Jesus. We pray for Mike and the rest of the team this morning. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. <laughs> So now you know what it's like to show up at church for the first time <laughs> in a long time or forever. Actually, it's, it's kind of like that, but we don't have to be scared. If, if you're brand new to Hope Today, whatever campus you're at, uh, there are these tracks on the roller coaster that keep it really safe. And we have those tracks here too, and that's what we call our core values. Plus, I just wanted to show you that video, I thought it was funny. But they remind us that Kevin Hart and Jimmy Fallon really didn't have to be that scared. Because, well, and I say that like I'm a professional roller coaster rider and I can't stand them anymore. I used to as a kid, I loved them. And then you hit a certain age, is it just me? Or a certain height, I don't know which it is, or a combo of where you don't fit anymore in those cars. And like Kevin Hart said, did you catch that when the attendant put the, the like locking mechanism around him? He's like, no, push it further down. I mean, there's no way that's in. And that's kind of how I feel when I go on a roller coaster and they kind of flip me out. But Roller coasters are really quite safe. It's probably more dangerous to drive to the amusement park than it is to get on the roller coaster because they have tracks that have been engineered in a precision type sort of way. They have these steel tracks in this roller coaster's case that keep the, or is it aluminum? I, they have tracks. They keep the train, they keep the roller coaster on the rails. It's the same way for a bullet train in, in Europe or Japan or China. If you've ever been in one of those, I haven't, but I hear it's quite the experience and quite the ride to be zipping across the horizon, 
going way faster than the cars you see uh, on, on, on the freeway that are that's going you know, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, you're flying by at 200 and some or even 300 and some miles an hour, and the horizon just whizzes by as you soak up the beauty of God's creation. It's a little intimidating at first until you remember we're on tracks here. And these tracks have been engineered to keep the train safe and to keep the passengers all aboard the train safe. So to use that metaphor of the church as a train and all of us are on that train together and we get to see things together and we get to experience life together at least for a, a time, at least for a while. And that those tracks are like our core values. During this series of sermons called The Heart of Hope, we're focusing in on our mission, vision, and values. Two weeks ago, we preached on the mission. Last weekend, the vision. The mission is what we believe God's calling us to do, to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It gets to the heart of who we are as a church. Our mission is to reach out and share God's love. Our vision is what we will move toward if we carry out our mission, preached on that last week, to be spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. Spirited Acts 2 sort of way, growing deep and wide, Matthew 28, Christ-centered in a John 15 sort of way, and elsewhere throughout the Gospels, including Mark 12. But if we do our mission, and by doing our mission we move toward our vision, the core values are those tracks that keep the train safe that allow us to move forward, that allow us to stay right on time, that allow us to reach the destinations we want to reach together as a church family. To put it another way, Jesus says in all the Gospels, it's recorded here in Mark 12, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? In his response, if you know your Bible, you already know the answer is? Love, okay, a few of you got, most of you got that, half of you got that, it's love. If you're new to hope or you're new to the Bible or you're new to Christianity, welcome. The answer is love, which might be a little bit of a surprise. It might be a surprise for people on the outside of Christianity look in, and sometimes it's a surprise for Christians by the way we live out our Christianity. Not in a biblical, Christ-centered way, but in our own sort of, this is what we want Christianity to be sort of way. And when we do that, we lose the love. Notice when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing to do? What's the foundation track? What's, what's the thing upon which all the core values, the Bible-based core values at Hope are, are built upon? It's love, Jesus says. It's not morality. It's not make sure you're on the right side of the moral lines that are drawn uh, in Scripture and that you're not on the wrong side. It's not even truth. As important as truth is. The truth Jesus will say in the gospel sets us free. It's not that Jesus is against truth. He's for it. He's very much for it. He says it produces freedom. It's not that he's against morality. It's not that he doesn't want us to experience the freedom of a life lived in relationship with God and relationship with other people, which is really a definition of biblical morality, having better relationships with God and with other people by staying inside of these boundaries, by not trespassing. It's not that Jesus is against those things, but when asked, what's the most important thing we can do as your followers, Jesus. He doesn't say truth. He doesn't say what you believe. He doesn't say your theology. He doesn't say practice all these spiritual disciplines and that'll prove that you, you're really with me all in. He says, if you really want to be all in with me, you've got to love. Love the Lord your God. But Jesus doesn't, didn't just say love. He said, love the Lord your God. This is the important part, the radical part, the edgy part with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Go all in with Jesus Christ. 
Love God with everything you've got. And the second commandment, Jesus goes on to say here in Mark 12, is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these commandments to love, this, this one commandment to love, all of the other commandments hang. All of the other commandments are fulfilled in this one. They're all summed up here. Love God with everything you've got. If you love God with everything you've got and you love other people the way God loves us, then you're on track. You're not going to go off the rails. Specifically, and in a Bible-based way, we articulate those with these five written core values. We have some unwritten core values, like uh, we're not a perfect church, but we're really good at recoveries. <laughs> that became an unwritten core value because we make a lot of mistakes, never on purpose, never intentionally, but when we do, we seek God's grace and His recovery. Another unwritten core value, we don't take ourselves very seriously around here, but we take God very seriously. And we think that's an important distinction, biblically speaking. We have other ones too. There's no party like a Jesus party. We, we, we can go on and on and on on these, but then we wrote some down that we thought were most important. And we've had these same core values for over 20 years, and they've really blessed us. Not because we came up with them, but because they're grounded in Scripture. And anytime we do that, it's going to bless us. The first core value for this church and for individual members of this church is this one. Let's read it together. It starts with Jesus. Jesus is life. The rest is just details. It starts with Jesus. Our first core value starts with this Jesus who says love is the most important commandment. Jesus is life for us. The rest is just details. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy and uh, Jamie, our revived minister, preached over the weekend here in our West Des Moines campus, and they showed a video of Chris Pratt, which I'm not going to show because they did, but I wanted to put his picture up there and just say a word about it. Chris Pratt was given, as I understand it, an MTV Teen Choice Award for like biggest movie star on the planet. Chris Pratt. You would think somebody who may be tempted to have a movie star ego and is given an award that says, you're number one, you're the biggest movie star in the world for teenagers who watch MTV. Nobody's bigger than you. You would think the temptation for somebody would be to give in to a movie star kind of ego and get up there and say, I am the bomb in all sorts of sort of acted out ways and scripted ways and he could, he could say things in such a way that he comes across as cool like if that was his goal or he comes across as smooth or, or, or just better than everybody else. Instead he got up and he preached a sermon. And in his sermon, which included some kind of quirky things, you can YouTube this when you get home if you've missed it a few weeks ago, in the midst of his sermon he talked about the centrality of Jesus Christ in his life and how important God's amazing grace was for him. And one very courageous and biblically true thing he said that our world doesn't hear often enough is, he said, you will hear people tell you that you're perfect just the way you are. And he said, that's a lie. Nobody's perfect just the way they are, including me, Chris Pratt said. None of us are perfect just the way we are. We all need God's grace. We're all sinners in need of a redeemer. We're all people who need to remember that Jesus is life for us. It's not about us. Whatever campus you're at right now, turn to the person next to you and say, it's really not about you. <laughs> oh, there's something deep down in your soul that's like, oh man, what a relief. Because when it's all about me, sometimes I just don't live up to it. 
Sometimes, a lot of times, I just can't jump that high. I can't, I can't clear the bar. I, I can't get there. So all of this kind of self-help, motivating, you just have to be better, you have to try harder, you have to do more, you have to do all these, it's just this, this tyranny of expectations and it, it, it overwhelms us. The truth that sets us free is we all need help. We're all minor messes at least who need some cleanup who need grace, and God's grace is amazing and it pours out for us. So he told the world, learn how to pray. You've got a soul, uh, dig into that soul, pay attention to that soul. What does Jesus say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Oh, you're a great success. You're the number one actor on the planet. You got promoted at work. You got the job you always wanted. Your career's just going gangbusters. You're, you're, you're making it big time. Great, please do not misunderstand the Bible's heart on this. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all, nothing wrong with caring about that until you make it life for you. Several years ago, there were these t-shirts and bumper stickers that came out about the time we wrote this core value, saying things like basketball's life, fishing's life, beer's life, and people are like, whoa, careful there, preacher boy. You're getting into some important things. Football's life, golf's life, dancing's life, or the third sacrament for Lutherans, coffee is life. <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. What's your biggest passion in life? Yesterday at the Hall of Fame enshrinement speeches, Brian Urlacher, who's a big football hero of mine because I'm a Bears fan, the leading tackler in the history of the Chicago Bears, which is the oldest football franchise in the NFL, says a lot about his football ability, right? He gets up there and he gives this nice speech, thanks everybody, for 20 minutes or so, and then he gets to the part, he goes, I've been thinking about this part of the speech for a long time. He <laughs> said, so this is the legacy part of the speech. This is the part that'll be replayed over and over and over again. This is the part I'll be remembered for. He says, here's what I want you to remember me. Not as a football player, not as a leading tackler in the history of the Chicago Bears. I want you to remember me as a family man, as a husband, as a father, and as a teammate, a good teammate, who respected the people I played with and respected the people I played against and respected the game that I lived my life and I pursued my career for something bigger than me, for something beyond me. There was another speech right before that by a guy on this team I'd never heard of from Wisconsin, uh, the Green Bay Packers or something like that, and apparently they have a team too, and he made the Hall of Fame. And he gave his speech and it was even better because he, it got to the legacy part of his speech and he says, I want you to know me as a man of faith. I want you to know that for all of my success on the football field, what matters to me the most is my faith in Jesus Christ. What would you say if given the opportunity, if given a platform like Chris Pratt was given, or like Brian Urlacher, or, or the guy in the Packers was given yesterday, to say, this is what matters most to me. This is at the core of my being. Is your legacy going to be, he knew a lot about coffee? She knew a lot about basketball. They were really big on fishing. That was their thing. Or will there be something deeper? 
Will there be something even more than that? I mean, great that it's those things as well. I'm not, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and make it either or. It can be those things. It can, those can be the things that people talk about at your funeral someday that add color to your life and say, boy, that guy was really, really knew his coffee and that was fun. It's fun to have that guy around. But what was more important for that guy was his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was life. Is Jesus life for you? Can you honestly say that'll be your legacy? That when people look at your life someday, they'll say, she was a Jesus person. He was a Jesus person. They gave their whole life. They did what Jesus says is the most important commandment. They loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they loved their neighbors themselves. And the rest was just details. Important details, maybe. But they're known more for their relationship with Jesus Christ and for the love that poured out of them because of that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's core value number one. It's the most important. And all the other four point back to it. Number two, let's read this together. Whatever campus you're at. Lost people matter to God, and so they matter to us. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables in response to grumbly, self-righteous religious people who are grumbling because Jesus is spending too much time with people who are lost. They call them notorious sinners, people who clearly don't belong in our group. Let me ask you this question to kind of put it into the context of today. If somebody walks into your church, whatever campus you're at right now, and your sinful human nature, and we all have that, rather than pretending we don't, let's just acknowledge that we do. Our sinful human nature, our, one of our first inclinations is to look at a person who walks in and say, that person doesn't really belong at church. Is that your first inclination? Or is your first inclination when you see somebody who walks into God's house, who's clearly lost from God, is your first inclination, praise God, I'm so glad that person's here. Because that's what this church exists for. It isn't just, here's another unwritten core value, a hangout for saints, it's a hospital for sinners, Lutheran Church of Hope. This is a place where lost people matter to us because they matter to our God. In response to these grumbling, self-righteous, religious Pharisees who were saying, Jesus, why do you spend your best energy? Why do you focus so much attention on trying to shine the light of God's love into the dark places of the world? Why don't you just hang out with us and have parties with light? Why don't we just get all the super religious people together and have our own services and have our own Bible studies and have our own stuff going on? Why don't, why don't we just do it for us? Because, Jesus says, a physician doesn't just deal with people who are well. A physician is called to deal with people who are sick. I'm here to save people who are lost from God. And in response to the grumbling in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And they all make the same point. Lost people matter to God. More specifically, lost people matter to Jesus Christ, and so it would be completely illogical if they didn't matter to the body of Christ. Because lost people matter so much to the one we follow, the one we call Lord, the one we surrender our lives to, the one who sacrificed his life for us, we live for the causes he lived for. We do everything we can to stay on track, to not go off the rails, and to walk in step and in harmony with what Jesus did. The Bible says you are the body of Christ, so if lost people mattered to Christ, they have to matter to us. It would be illogical to say, well, sure, they matter to Jesus, but they aren't going to matter to us. 
We're the body of Christ. We're the church. And so this is a core value for us. They matter to us too. John 20 says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says in John 20, so now I'm sending you. 1 Corinthians 9, Jesus says, I'll become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. So that some can be saved. Getting back to that first core value, Romans 1.16 says, our, our Bible reading for today, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll speak that word, I'll proclaim the good news, I'll shine the light. I'm not saying, let's send 12,000 hope people who hear this sermon this weekend out into central Iowa to turn Jesus into a sledgehammer to beat people over the head with. But I am saying what the Bible says. Be prepared to give a testimony to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be prepared to talk about what Jesus means to you. Be ready to announce the name of Jesus in public conversations with your friends without blushing. When Jesus becomes life for us as individual members within this church and when lost people matter to God, we seek those opportunities. We've got a guy who's a part of our church family here. His name's Khalil Carter. He's a great football player. He played in the NFL and the CFL, and he's a coach after that. And now he came back here, and he had this vision that God laid on his heart. He said, I want to do a football camp. A former NFL player. There aren't a ton of those around. I want to do a football camp for kids in this community, a one-day camp. And I'm wondering if, if Hope would sponsor it. We're like, yes, that's a great idea because we knew his heart. We knew his vision wasn't just to teach football skills to, to boys and girls. And over 250 of them showed up yesterday for his football camp. Over 250. Man, that's awesome. Our local teams are going to be really good now in the future. That's a benefit. That's a perk. That's a good thing. But I know Khalil's heart, because I've talked to him several times about it. He wanted to do this camp to teach football skills as a means to an end. And the end was to proclaim the good news of God's love to these kids. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him, which he did. The whole point of having the camp was to build a bridge. It isn't just being a church and waiting for people to come here. Sometimes it's also the church going out into the world and bringing the light of God's love to the world around us because lost people matter to us. The reason they matter to us is because they matter to our God. Core value two. Core value three. Let's read this one together, whichever campus you're at. We worship God, not tradition. This picture just cracks me up every time I see it. This is from Vacation Bible School. We do these skits at all of our campuses, and here at West Des Moines, I don't know what inspired me to do this, but I decided, well, we have these Disney princess costumes for our daddy-daughter dance every year, and I heard about it, and I'm like, that's it, I'm writing them into the VBS skits. So here's Snow White and Elsa the Snow Queen and Cinderella, and they were playing parts in the skits, Bible-based skits. We become fools for Christ, there's a method to our madness, and that method is we will do whatever it takes to connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who don't know it, so that they can worship God. We won't let our traditions get in the way. So here's a picture here at our West Des Moines campus of the last day of VBS, just a full-blown, all-out, spirit-filled, kids' revival Jesus party. And that doesn't happen if we fall in love with our traditions. When I first started here, it was a small church, and a few weeks ago I talked through my own hope story about how I had to be humbled and surrender the church to God. Not long after that, things were really picking up. 
And I started uh, getting a vision and a sense for where God wanted to take this church. Instead of my vision, it was God's, and it was way better. So I started talking about these kinds of things. Started talking about mission. I started talking about being a church for people who are lost, not just the people who are found. It's both. I started talking about a, a, a church where love would be central. I started talking about a church that would dive in and be immersed in the Word of God. So we were starting Bible studies and small groups, and we'd experience what the Greek word in the New Testament is, is koinonia, this fellowship, as sisters and brothers in Christ, and people would have opportunities uh, to connect to one another and do life together and serve together and, and, and give together and, 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 and love the world around them together. Started talking about the, the importance of these Bible studies that would lead to these things. And this one well-intentioned man who just had a different vision came up to me and said, no, we don't want that here. You don't want what? We don't want Bible studies. You don't want Bible studies at church? Really? He goes, no, I'm not kidding. We left churches like that. We want this church to be a comfortable church where we can basically, he was saying, consume spirituality. We, we want it to be a place that's really all about those who are found and not those who are lost. We, we want it to be the way we want it to be. We want it to be our comfortable traditions the way we want it to be. This was a defining, kind of tipping moment for me. And I, I know where the courage came from. It wasn't inside of me, because everything inside of me was wanting to say, okay, we'll drop it or we'll just do whatever to it. We only had like 20 members at the time. Couldn't afford to lose any. But I said, oh, I'm sorry, this is the way we're going, I hope you'll come. And we'll miss you if you don't. But we're going to be a Bible church, and we're going to be a Jesus church, and we're going to be a mission church, and we're going to move and we're going to go in this direction. These are the tracks that God is laying down for us. We're going to worship God, not your traditions. We're going to focus in on not letting traditions become bigger than God. If your religion or your spirituality is all about embracing heritage and traditions more than it is embracing the God who's with you right now, you don't have a biblical faith. You've got something that's more about you and your ancestors than it is about the God of this church. We're a Lutheran church. We embrace that. We don't hide that. We, we, it means that our roots and our origins are from Western Europe and Scandinavia, and we make jokes about that. We don't worship that. You don't have to be into that to be here. You, you don't, probably don't hear about that a whole lot around here. Because we worship God, not tradition. I just told the traditional service that at the traditional service this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's funny, I know, I get it. But they get it too, they laughed as well. Because we don't do the traditional service for the sake of tradition. We do the traditional service here in this church because it gets the Jesus going for a certain segment of our church membership. And for others who don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the method to our madness. We're worshiping God, and whatever tradition helps us get the Jesus thing going somewhere, we say it that way a lot around here, we embrace it, and where it doesn't, we seek to tear it down without apology, and we let Snow White kick away like a rockhead as much as she wants if it leads one little kid closer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all in. We're sold out for this Jesus. We're going to do anything we can. 1 Corinthians 9 says, I'll become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel so that in some way God might save some through what we're doing. That's our core value. Those are the tracks that allow this train called Lutheran Church of Hope to keep the locomotion moving. Come on, baby, do the locomotion with me. 
Fourth core value, let's read this one together. Christianity is a growing experience. Let me put this as just simply and bluntly as I can. Are you growing? Compared to where you were last summer as a Christian, have you grown? In your relationship with Jesus Christ? In what ways have you grown? Be careful. Again, the most dangerous kind of Christian is the Christian who thinks, I don't really have anything else to learn. I've got it all figured out. I, I, I've arrived. I'm deep. I, I'm a deep Christian. I, I do all the spiritual disciplines. I practice these things. And Jesus has a story about that. Two men came into the temple to pray. One was a religious, self-righteous person who came in and his prayer was, God, I'm so glad that I'm so religious and I'm one of your number one people here. I'm such a deep religious person. I tithe. I give 10% of my income to the cause of God here in this temple and I live on the other 90%. I follow your moral boundaries. I'm just here basically to remind you how good I am. Jesus goes on to tell this story in Luke's gospel and he says, meanwhile, another man comes in and his prayer is much simpler and much more humble. He's a tax collector. He's a notorious sinner. And he gets down on his knees and he prays, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That's his whole prayer. Jesus steps back from the story as he's teaching this to his followers. He says, now tell me, which of these two men stands right before a holy God on judgment day? radical surprise it's the man on his knees begging for mercy asking for God's amazing grace not pretending that he's perfect just the way he is it's the man asking for God it's the man getting in line for communion or the woman or the child at the at the end of this sermon at whatever campus you're at because you need to not just because you're going through the religious motions not because you've earned it not because it's just what Christians do but you're in line because you say oh, I'm here today because I need this I need a mark and a sign of God's grace. It's not the bread and the wine that do this, Martin Luther says, but it is the promise of God in the midst of that bread and wine as it's distributed. This is my body, this bread, and this is my blood, Jesus says, given and shed for all of you, whatever campus you're at, for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do you need it? Do you see your need for it? Because Jesus, the way he tells this parable, says it's kind of a big deal. Where you land on this story, are you more like the religious person who thinks you've arrived? Who calls yourself deep? The most dangerous kind of Christian is the one who thinks that he or she has nothing left to learn. It's the one who loves the most, not the one who knows the most. It's the one who serves the most. So when I ask you, are you growing? In a biblical, gospel-centered, Christ-centered way, the question really gets framed like this. Do you love more this summer than you did last summer? Do you serve more this summer than you did last summer? Do you give more this summer than you gave last summer? Do you forgive more this summer than you forgave last summer? Because that's the marks of a growing Christian. Not the person who thinks that they've already made it and that their train has docked at the station. But the people who are enjoying the grace-based ride on this train called Christianity and enjoying the scenery along the way. Ephesians and Philippians both talk about growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is misunderstood. It's about loving more and giving more and serving more. Huh. 
Christianity is a growing experience. It's a growing experience. And here's one more thing, and this will be a little bit challenging. So I'm kind of warning you to maybe tighten up the harness belts a little bit on the roller coaster. Here's, here's the thing about that. If we want to reduce Christianity to just me consuming Christianity, or you consuming Christianity and getting it the way we want it, we're going to miss the point. Or if we try to model the church after the world, we're going to miss the point. Guy came up to me during Taste of Hope, our big midsummer celebration last Saturday. If you're new to Hope this weekend, that was last week, and you missed it. But we'll have another party in 12 months. <laughs> he came up to me and he looked at me just with big eyes, and he's like, this is my first time here, and I, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> we get that a lot around here, so I wasn't like alarmed by his opening statement. And I thought he'd mean we don't get the way you did VBS, or we don't get the way you do worship, or we don't get the way you, you just doesn't feel like the church I'm used to, or heard about once, or went to once. He goes, I don't get it. Why are you giving hot dogs away for free? Don't you know how much money you could make on those things? Why are you giving hamburgers away for free? Why are you giving cotton candy and funnel cakes and lemonade? These are food trucks. You know how much money you can make on these food trucks? Why, why are you doing, I suppose you're doing fireworks for free and the, and the bouncy games for free. I'm like, yeah. We're doing it because Jesus' life and lost people matter to God and we worship God, not tradition, and we're growing. And it isn't about us and it isn't about conforming this church to the ways of this world. And it isn't about reducing Christianity to what can we get out of this church. Are you growing? Are you loving more? Are you serving more? Are you giving more? Are, are you forgiving more? Because, oh, you're not supposed to talk about giving. The Bible talks more about giving than prayer. Are you growing with the gifts that God has given to you? I'm not just talking about money and offerings. I'm talking about your life. What do you do with the blessings God has given to you? It's not about getting to the point where we say, well, like the Pharisee in the, in the parable Jesus tells in Luke, I tithe, I give 10%, and I live on the other 90, so therefore I'm better than all these other Christians. Tithing is a biblical concept. Jesus affirms it in the New Testament, but it is not a litmus test to see who the deepest Christian is. It's something we get to do, not got to do. It's something we get to do as we follow Jesus because the scenery keeps getting better when we hit our stride and we stay on these tracks and we move toward this mission and seek to fulfill this vision individually as Christians and collectively as a church. And speaking of collectively as a church, that leads to the final core value. Let's read it together. Whatever campus you're at, we are one body united in Jesus Christ. There are just certain things that we can do better together than we could do alone. Turn to the person next to you, every campus you're at right now, and say, we're better together, baby. Hopefully you were not sitting next to somebody you have a crush on and you just met, because that would be awkward. <laughs> Although, hey, if it starts something, great. We are better together. We need each other. There are certain things we can't, we can't do VBS by ourselves. We can't do that just by myself on the internet. Together, when we come together as a community, it's way better. Taste of hope. We can't do that alone. 
we're better together. The missions, the mission trips that we send out, uh, uh, almost two dozen this year around the world. The, the local mission work that we do. The, the stuff that we're going to get into this fall on this Mission from God sermon series called Hope for Iowa. There's All of those things will be things that we're better at doing together than we could do alone as individuals. We need each other. And so the unity of the church is important. Never underestimate how important the bride of Christ is to Jesus Christ. To a groom who loves his bride, how important is the bride to him? The Bible says you and I are the bride of Christ. We're the church, and Jesus Christ is the groom. We are very important to the groom. So be very careful about doing anything that will splinter or fracture or cause division within the body of Christ, which is the bride to Jesus. I get a little nervous sometimes because it's kind of trendy these days with cool Christian bloggers and authors to rip the church apart. And then they have, with this spiritual self-righteous, I've arrived arrogance, so do it my way. Do it like this. I'm the only one who really understands how to do church. In this church, we don't believe that. We believe there are a lot of churches out there doing Bible-based, Christ-centered kind of mission and, and church life together. I get a little nervous around those popular Christian bloggers and authors who are so critical of the church for the sake of selling their books and becoming more popular and a bigger name out there, and they just keep storming the church, just ripping it apart. Now, make no mistake about it, there are plenty of things to criticize. As I said, one of the unwritten core values around here is we're not a perfect church, but we're really good at recoveries. We don't intentionally make mistakes, but we're going to make a lot of them because we're human. So the church is flawed and it's messed up, but hear me clearly on this. Hear what scripture has to say clearly on this. The church is still the hope of the world. Still the hope of the world. And there is no plan B for that plan A in the Bible. If the church doesn't rise up and embrace who we are and get on track and not go off the rails, it's not going to happen. The church is the hope of the world. And so just criticizing the church, which is easy. Somebody came up to me once in this church and said, I have the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> now I'm here to point out all the things in your church that are off. I'm like, A, there is no spiritual gift of criticism in the Bible. And B, we can see, and it's okay, but speak that truth in love. Speak it in love. I'm not saying you have to, you know, be silent about things you don't see and don't like. I'm just talking about the way you do it. You go to the grocery store and you look at the sour cream and on the label it says fat free. That's a lot. There's a little bit of fat in there, but according to the government regulations, they can label it fat-free if it's below a certain percentage. Did I just ruin your day? <laughs> Same thing with yogurt, it's a fat-free. It's almost fat-free. With that in mind, Lutheran Church of Hope is a conflict-free church. <laughs> according to government labels, right? We would be able to call ourselves a 99% plus conflict-free church. It doesn't mean we don't have conflict. We do. And do you know why we have conflict? A, because we're human and we make mistakes and people are going to mess up. And B, because people are passionate. And I'm glad you are. And you care enough to share. Say, you know, I think we could do this a little better. Let me speak some truth and love here. Let, let me try to help out here. Let, let, me, let me tell you what I'm seeing here that I think could be better. That's great. Constructive criticism is what it's called. 
It happens in marriages. If you're in a marriage where you never have any, even an ounce of conflict or tension, or he does something that even after 37 years still drives you nuts, and usually it's he, right? (laughs) Sometimes it go the other way. If you never have any conflict, somebody checked out. Somebody doesn't care anymore. When two people are passionate, there's going to be some conflict once in a while, and that conflict isn't a bad thing because it can lead to growth. So we're not afraid of the conflict around here. We just want to make sure we handle it, core value, in a Christ-centered way. Christ-centered way is Matthew 18. If somebody does you wrong in this church, if somebody offends you, and somebody will if you care, at some point somebody in your life group, somebody in your ministry team, somebody on your mission trip, somebody in your choir, somebody in your Sunday school class, somebody in your power life group, uh, whatever it might be. Somebody's going to do something that you don't agree with. And sometimes it's going to cross the line into a full-blown offense. So now the question is, what do you do with that offense? One option, biblically speaking, is you can shake it off and just say, oh, well, you know, everyone's human, everyone's trying, I'm just going to let it go. If you can let it go, great. The other option is, if you can't let it go, Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and point it out to your brother just between the two of you, one-on-one. Just between you and the other person. Take it to the person who has offended you. Take it to the person who has done you wrong, according to your assessment. 99 times out of 100, the two of you will be able to work it out together, and that'll be the end of it. And you'll both feel better about it, and you'll have a better relationship because of it. That's how we handle conflict in a Christ-centered biblical way. Can you imagine if your office handled conflict that way? Or your group of friends in your social circles? Or your (laughs) in-laws? Or whoever it might be? Here's human nature. Sinful human nature is somebody does me wrong, I'm not going to go tell the person who did me wrong. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell my friends how awful that person is and what they did and can you believe it? And then over on the other side, maybe he'll hear about it and he'll tell his friends how awful I am. And before you know it, if it bubbles up, if it isn't put in check, it turns into a full-blown church war. I interned at a church like this. During seminary, I spent a whole year contextual education at what was formerly a really incredible, faithful Lutheran church in Minnesota, in South Minneapolis. And uh, when I got there, I realized something after about mm, the first hour. This church is in deep conflict. A few days later, I started to recognize something else. There were two pastors on the staff there, and they didn't speak to each other. They didn't even speak to each other. They, didn't, they were so mad at each other. They were so deep in, in, a, in a church fight with each other over some trivial little thing that they didn't speak to each other. And the longer I was there, this was an incredibly educational experience, the longer I was there, the more I realized the church's best energy this year is focused on which pastor are you for? Which side of the argument are you on? Which side of the debate are you? The Bible has all sorts of things to say about this. In fact, I put up a few of the verses here. I could have filled the whole screen with New Testament passages that talk about the importance of the unity of the body of Christ and how we don't settle our conflicts in that way. Instead, if one of those pastors would have just gone to the other pastor, the two of them probably could have worked it out on their own. And they wouldn't have derailed the church. Because that church was completely derailed. There was no mission, there was no vision, nothing was getting done, and I learned a lot. 
I mean, I learned a lot that year. And so one of the core values here in response to my experience there is this isn't going to be that kind of church. When we have church council meetings, we're going to have church council meetings and we're going to do it in the church council room. We're not going to do it in the parking lot after the meeting. Same with annual meetings. We're going to deal with it where we deal with it. We're going to be one body united in Jesus Christ because that unity matters. And that unity allows us to move forward together as a church with a heart for God. And that'll bless other people as we carry out this mission. And it'll bless us too because the view, the things we get to see on this train that stays on track. One of the things I'm most grateful to God for is for over 25 years in this church, we've never had to hit the pause button and say, oh wow, what a mess. We've got a church split here that's so deep, we can't, we can't focus on mission right now. We, we got to heal this rift. We've never had to do that. And I'm not saying this now because I sense that's coming, I'm saying it is preventive maintenance. We're not afraid of conflict, it's the way we handle it that's important. We're going to be one body united in Jesus Christ. If somebody does you wrong, somebody on our staff does you wrong, don't come to me and say, hey, somebody on your staff did me wrong. Because I'll say to you, have you, does the staff person know about this? Have you talked to this person? Work it out between the two of you alone. It'll bless this church. Continue to bless this church. It'll bless you too in your life. And the view. The view will keep getting better. Paul sums it up this way. He says, summing it all up, friends, here's what our core values do for us. I'll say, I'd say you'll do best in life. Your soul will be satisfied by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. Listen to this, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Does this describe you? Does this describe your journey through life on this train? What have you done in the last week? What have you done in the last month that promotes unity within the body of Christ? And what have you done that might sow seeds of division? Focus on the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies, his most beautiful songs, his greatest dances. And the view, the things we get to see on this train because we're staying on track, because the train just keeps going. Choo, 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 choo. Come on, baby, do the locomotion. A month ago at our son's wedding, he and his wonderful bride Liz um, had a dinner party for their, their wedding party and, and family. And uh, they had some music, and the music was great. I mean, the music was just awesome. And uh, one of the songs they played was by Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> Come on, baby. Do the locomotion. It's the fact that we're better together and spontaneously everybody at that wedding dinner, I mean everybody who was there, got up. And not everybody all at once because half the people there are Scandinavian, but eventually they all got up <laughs> and they started putting their hands on the shoulders of the person in front of them and they started making a train. And we're doing the locomotion, I mean we're doing the locomotion. We're not just talking about it, we're, we're, we're come on baby, we're doing the locomotion. Do you know this song? How many of you know this song? At whatever campus you're at, play it, just to make sure you got it. Okay, come on church, let's get up, let's do the locomotion, come on baby. Talk about the